Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We have a fantastic interview for all of you listeners today as we are joined by a first-time guest, but someone I hope to have far more frequently on these shows moving forward. Of course, she's accomplished so many different things throughout the tennis world. I could list numerous accolades while introducing her. I will simply leave it here. You probably know her best as the 2009 NCAA singles finalist, former associate head coach for the University of Miami women's tennis program. I know her as my friend Laura Valverde, who joins the show today to discuss her illustrious college tennis career. And by the way, if you enjoy when we nerd out, when we talk specific results from the aughts, right, late 2000s, early 2010s, this will be the podcast for you. Of course, we also discuss her transition from college tennis player to college tennis coach. We discuss the value of college tennis to one's development, not only on the court, but off of it as well. Of course, I also wanted to pick her brains on the San Diego Open as she had the chance to attend that inaugural ATP 250 in person and knows a bit or two, uh, a thing or two, I should say, about the planning of that event. We talk about all of those things and so much more. It really is. It's such an enjoyable, fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, quickly, before we get to it, Daily mini breaks, uh, recapping all of the action at Indian Wells. Of course, daily picks each and every day on our GSP Ace of the Day segments for the preceding Indian Wells matches. If you've missed any of that content, you can find it all wherever you listen to your podcasts or on our website, crackedrackets.com. But with that said, let's get to it. Joining me on today's show is the one and only Laura Valverde. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast today is a first-time guest who, quite frankly, should have been on this podcast far sooner. Quite the resume for our guest. She is a member of the University of Miami Sports Hall of Fame, given she was a five-time All-American, four-time All-ACC first-team performer, a 2009 NCAA single finalist, of course. Now, she's the Director of Development and Academy Manager at Miami Beach Tennis Center, founder and creative director for Between Lines, and author of It Starts at Love. Welcome to the podcast, Laura Valverde. Laura, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Alex. Uh, how are you? Thank you for having me. Like I said before, I'm sorry for all the scheduling. Uh, I've been worse than a famous person, but I heard other people were worse, so I'm going to go with that. <laughs> yeah, no, again, far from the worst experience I've had, but it is a pleasure to have you on the show, and we've had the opportunity to chat before, not on our Crack Rackets podcast, but obviously yeah. uh, as someone who started watching college tennis in the late 2000s early 2010s your story your success one i am very familiar with and so i'm excited to get the chance to pick your brains today but before we dive too deeply into your career what you are up to i do want to talk about a more recent event and that's the san diego open and you obviously had the opportunity to be out there on the grounds a first time event what were your impressions because watching from afar I mean, for a 250 event, it helps to have an awesome draw, but that crowd just seemed spectacular. Yeah, I mean, listen, kudos to all of them. Uh, 
I mean, I, I went because I had a, just a personal interest. My brother was in the, the staff, so it was just fun to go see him personally, but I, I just, I, I didn't know what I was <laughs> going to encounter. And it all started with, I mean, the, the draw that they had, and all these guys that they that came and obviously helped that Indian Wells was right around the corner. But uh, I think that I think they had like five weeks, six weeks to get this done. So um, I had, you know, I've been in, I was in touch with Danny when he was kind of flying to San Diego for one day just to kind of have a meeting. And then he's like, yes, we're going to do it. So it was exciting to see the whole thing grow and to actually come to fruition. Right. Um, the whole the whole atmosphere was so much fun. It felt like. It felt kind of like a Miami Open, uh, cut, cut in half in terms of spacing. So we were all very <laughs> near each other. Everybody was walking around. You felt like you were really part of the tournament with these guys, just Andy Murray, Rublev, I mean, Nishi Clory, Alassim. I mean, they all walking around you. One's having lunch here. The other one on my left is tying his shoe. Shapovalov is having a nice chat with Felix. I mean, it, it, listen, it was it was a really, really cool atmosphere. Really cool. They had two little stadiums. I mean, not little, but the one was the one on TV the whole time. And then there was another smaller one. Um, if whoever's been to the Barnes Tennis Center is just like the main two little courts there and um and everything else they had maybe like uh, I don't know like seven practice courts or something like this where they blocked the the entrance because it was just all so close that um it felt like there was there was no privacy but you know for a fan that was the dream come true so it was awesome no. I know. I I think that's the fun of these 250 challenger college sort of event. It's yeah. the intimacy you get there that you don't get at the Masters, at the Grand Slams. And I yeah, have to had, imagine. No, sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. They had music going on. They had a mm-hmm. just a great guy on the microphone. It kept it engaged. Kept it entertaining. They had all sorts of little little events and little things going on in the middle of the matches and just was very very fun i mean and the whole stadium was packed every day um i went for the first i think i went tuesday yeah i went monday tuesday wednesday i believe and then i had to go back home but um it was really 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 fun Mm-hmm. I have to imagine it was somewhat disappointing, though, to learn that Parsa is actually a real human being. I remember <laughs> meeting him for the first time, and I was crushed. I was like, I thought you were a myth. I thought you were like no. seven people. It was so funny. I really just – I was watching – I <laughs> I randomly went to watch uh, Grigor uh, Dimitrov play. Uh, it, it was a practice match. He was playing against uh, Sebastian Korda, and um, – I'm just sitting there in the corner, just minding my own business, not really talking to many people. Um, you know, I, I thought there's no way anybody really knows me here. You know, a couple of ATP people say hello, hey, you know. And then, um, I hear when the practice is over, I hear, you know, there comes a guy with like he's running shoes and tennis outfit or something <laughs> like like with a backpack holding both hands into the, you know, and like looking at me and, and I'm like, what is this guy looking at me for? And then he goes, coach Balverdu. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to have to have a conversation now. And I didn't know who this was. And he's looking at me and he goes, so James Bond, like, he's like, Nemati Parsa. I was like, what? I'm like, no. I'm like, <laughs> and then I just said, no way. And I just started like really just genuinely laughing. I was like, oh my God, this is so funny that you came to say hello. And and then we just spoke for a bit and it, he's a human. He's human. <laughs> I know. It's a shock. I, I remember my first experience. I was like, no. I was like, come on, man. Like, I just like you as a Twitter account. I don't want to put a face yeah, to the name. Yeah, this now my whole – my whole world is kind of rocked. I mean, I I really just wanted him to. I wanted him to stay in my screens. It was so yeah, funny. Exactly. It's like uh, no. Now I know he has feelings and like. Yeah. Again, he, he, I can't listen. Say listen. He migrated into my WhatsApp. So now we're like official. <laughs> 
it's over for you. Those texts are going to yeah. come. Uh, oh but my god! No, anyway. it's that. That's so out uh, again. That's so exciting, and I, yeah. it is fascinating because obviously you are invested in the game in all levels. There are pockets. Yeah. You know, in the United States, I suppose it's pronounced because of just how big the country is. But there yeah. are these communities that can that would be willing, I think, to support tennis events. Obviously, San Diego feels yeah, like a clear yeah. one, just Southern California and tennis, that atmosphere. There's some wealth in San Diego, too, so it all ends up working out. But you've seen it in Chicago this summer. It feels like yeah. how the tours hadn't tapped into the Chicago market more prominently before just feels like a mistake. You saw the Cleveland events this summer as well, and I know for a fact there yeah. were challengers building up so that they could get the WTA certification to do the event uh, or the uh, the license, whatever, to do it later on. Yeah. We saw with I the mean, strategic plan – Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, we saw with the strategic plans, they want to do more 250s surrounding these 1,000-level events. What do yeah. you think about that? Is that a good plan, and should both tours be considering that? Yeah, I just think both tours should be considered, you know, and we've, I've, I, I really align with the people that have this type of conversation. Like, we should just stay flexible, you know. I'm I'm obviously not in in these conversations in depth and I'm not in, I don't work for these companies right now and I'm not behind the, you know, I'm behind the table talking about this, but, but as a, as a person from the outside, that's pretty involved. I just stay flexible. I mean, the, why can Indian Wells just stay now where it is and at this time of year and why can we have something in San Diego right before Asia? Like, why not? You know? Um, yeah, it's just so nice. I mean, especially San Diego. I mean, just the fact that I was there watching tennis and yeah, I mean, I got to see, I mean, Rod Laver was there, Charlie Passero was there. I, I mean, I, I, I said hello to him. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my God, this is Charlie <laughs> Passero. And so just, there were so many, but they got uh, the, the coach Donovan, they got Nash, they got, they did like a little thing with uh, Blake as well. You can get all these people. I mean, it's kind of like, I would say California or South California is a little, I guess, cooler, better for tennis than like a Florida, than like a Chicago. Like there's so many people there. Um, and so nothing. I think there's money. They love it. I think these things should be happening. I think we need to stay flexible with the uh, calendar. Yeah, no, and I think it's across the levels as well. One thing that's been so devastating is, and it's it's actually been a lot better of late in terms of the 15Ks, 25s, and 60Ks available, but there are no ATP challengers this fall scheduled right now for the States. And, you know, again, just... Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, those competitive opportunities for the current or former college players just getting off the ground for, you know, just all of these players across the globe, you would hope that you can create as many of them as possible. And I agree that does just include a degree of flexibility that it feels like the tours so frequently uh, aren't used to having. But, of course, with all of that said, I do want to take the time uh, to explore your past, your history, and ask how someone who, you know, I go back, I do my research, I look it up, and uh, obviously you have a brother invested in the game as well, and a family of tennis will always mean something, but... You know, I see a career-high ITF junior ranking of number 282. I see the best result being a grade 5 semifinal. You know, that's, I think, the one semifinal on the junior resume. How does yeah, someone so go let's from... Not, yeah, let's not, okay, go. Wait, let's not talk about ITF at all. We don't need <laughs> to talk about ITF juniors at all. I completely, completely... Okay, so... Yeah. Okay. Fine. I can explain that to you. So <laughs> I, I, I. That's so funny. You know your, you know your stuff because nobody really ever like went there. So um, I moved to Spain. So we're from Venezuela. We were born in Venezuela, and uh, we moved away. We, I mean, we were traveling since we were very little for tennis. Fortunately. Uh, my family was able to provide that for us. And so since we were like 12, I think 12, 13, we were traveling all around the world to play tennis. Obviously in Venezuela is not the same as living in, you know, Miami where you can play anywhere and you have tournaments everywhere. So you had to find your way. Um, We moved away when I was like 14 and a half, almost getting to 15. 
uh, we moved to Spain. My entire family is from Spain. So we moved back, my everybody, my grandparents, my uncle, my aunts, everything. So we all went over there and I lived, me and my brother lived on our own in Barcelona, uh, training in Sanchez Casal. That's where we met Andy Murray. That's where we kind of started our connections to the higher level type uh, people in the sport. Um, but anyways, I mean, listen, I went from training in, in, in Venezuela to winning pretty much everything that I played, right? Um, to being, uh, I don't know, top five in the continent in South America, you know, was really good as well. But then you put me, you know, out there in Europe where the Lions are and you put me to play more in America here in the States. And so anyways, I went through a transition kind of I started training like the Spaniards. I I needed to learn a lot. I needed to learn how to move on the tennis court. I needed I just different things that would help me um, to just stay more consistent, less injuries uh just different things yeah and so i went through through about like a year or a year and a half where i could not win um so i that was kind of the year where all of my peers were starting to do juniors because we weren't playing 16s anymore i actually got to like top uh 15 in the eta which is the like the under 16 in europe which is pretty big I was like top 15 and then right after that they put me to play juniors I was doing really well on their 16 so they're like let's go play ITFs <laughs> and nothing I just I couldn't do it I think also we picked a lot of like indoor if I don't remember correctly and that definitely was not good for my game and uh, <laughs> so anyhow it just was a disaster and so I think when I started feeling a little bit more comfortable, my coach said, you know what? I would rather her go through this stage. Um, in, uh, like the beginning pro tournaments. And that's kind of how it was done in Europe when during my year. Mm -hmm. You just started playing 10Ks and 15 and 20, what was it? 10 and 25Ks, I think. And then nothing, that's how I started. And then that's why I have a better WTA ranking uh then itf and how i really just was doing great honestly before going to college i thought my dad was playing a joke on me and <laughs> i'm like um i'm pretty sure i'm almost 18 and i'm like almost up 400 in the world and you're not you're making a joke and so he's like no you got to go to college listen we don't we can't really afford it anymore, and, and that's just what you have to do. I mean, we it was my brother and I always, right? So he he had a tough time, you know, affording both. We did have, obviously, help here and there, but not a full-time sponsor. And, uh, and I mean, and we were 18. You got to go study. You got to do the right thing, you know, for your life. And, and at that time, it just was different, right, Alex? I mean, it just it wasn't as prominent that, you know, go to college and then go play pro it's okay you're developing it wasn't as talked about um at least not for internationals we we didn't know as much as americans did so yeah so i just went to college like blind and i just said okay well i guess i'll just i don't know i'll go play tennis over there and then <laughs> well and, and i don't mean to cut you off but the reason i bring it up and for the record that was exactly the answer i was looking for um but uh you know i, look I at couldn't your... listen i couldn't win for a year i almost quit tennis i'm like i'm supposed to be good at this yeah no well the reason i ask is because you know you were top 600 in the world in the pros before heading off to college yeah. and you know so often the discussion i'm having with high level coaches and it only applies to you know the top 0.1 percent of players entering college in any given season yeah. but it's do i go to college versus versus nursing pro aspirations and you sort of got into it there i know you know for some now it's winning junior slams and being a top 10 junior yeah, in the world i, I versus, completely made the right choice i mean yeah, I, was, I was gonna say I was, versus pro success yeah, yeah. how do you weigh, is it more about the pro success or just how do you weigh that choice 
No, no, listen, I mean, if you're 18 and you're top 500 or so, I, you got to go to college. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no discussion at all. I mean, the only discussion is if you're 18 and you're already top 200, you know, going down, you know, it's like, th there's no discussion in my book. Um, but, you know, I wanted to ask you, because the, the my last, I don't even know if it was my last or one of my last uh, pro tournaments, I went to a 75K in Luxembourg just to go play the qualities. And my last quali match i'll never forget because after this tournament that's when i went home to tenerife to where my family lived to have this conversation about like you're not playing anymore <laughs> bros you have to go to college and that tournament in my last round of qualies i beat yelena dokic i mean can you believe that i <laughs> was playing so good obviously she was coming back from injury and was like 300 in the world at the time but I had watched this girl be top four in the world and like in the, you know, in the biggest stages in, in, in tennis. And I remember beating her 6-0 and then I'm like, what's going on? Like impossible. <laughs> and then I think it was like 5-7, 7-5, something crazy. And then I played first round against a girl that at the time, I think her name, she was French. Her last name was Ferretz. I think she yes, was like Stephanie Ferretz. Yeah, and for the record, like, good memory with the score. Six love, four, six, seven, five, win over Dokic. Bravo yeah, to something like that. Yeah. And then I think I left like four and four, right? Two in and first four. round. Two and four, yeah. So anyways, I mean, she was like top 40 in the world at the time. And I'm obviously feeling so good about myself. I'm like, <laughs> I'm totally doing this. I for sure can be top 100. Um, we would never know, <laughs> but... <laughs> Then uh, nothing. Then I went home, and my dad's like, "No, we gotta, we gotta change routes here." And now, you know, at the time, it's so sad because it was. I, that's how I saw it, right? I saw it as like I'm changing routes, and I'm just like, now after my entire career and all I've done, it's obviously I made the right choice. We all made the right choice, and it was exactly what I had to do, and. Uh, it was great. And then I didn't play anymore because it was my choice. I was playing unbelievable tennis. When I graduated, I was fit. I was mentally so strong. I was understanding the big picture. I, I was getting it, right? But uh, I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to go back to Spain. And I wanted to continue to finish my studies. And I ended up doing a master's. And that's kind of how it all took me off court. But... Um, no, it, yeah. again, I, I think all of that, it, it's so fascinating. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't dive into uh, you know, your, your college tennis career, and we'll get there in a second. And obviously, you go on to coach, I believe it was a season at Barry, right? I want to say at Barry. I, and then... I coached at Barry, yeah, for a year. They won their national title for the first time there when I coached there. Uh, <laughs> Humble brag. Then, yeah. And then. <laughs> Then I went to Miami to actually do my master's where I volunteered for two years and then I uh, migrated into the assistant job uh, for, I don't know, I think like seven years, uh, something like that, a long time. No, and <laughs> and for you, because I am curious, at that point, you had dabbled yeah. in the pro tour life and you'd played, you know, 10Ks, yeah. 25Ks, 50Ks, had a sneak peek of what those first few months on the pro tour are like. For you, yeah. it was a, it wasn't, you know, an education. It was just a, I'm ready to do something else sort of decision because I'm sure the avenues yeah. were there for you. Yeah, yeah. So it was more like, yeah, it was more. Uh, I did it. Uh, I don't know if I can go back and do it again, especially knowing that I'm playing so well right now, and it's so annoying that I'm not, you know, like top 300 right now because I'm playing really good tennis. Um, and so I felt like, oh my God, I have to do this all over again and I have to go grind it out over there and for what? And, you know, I'm already 23, 24. It's not that I didn't want to, it just didn't seem to me, if I would have played tournaments when I was in college, it's a different story, I think, but mine just didn't, didn't plan like that. So mm -hmm. it had, well, the, the reason I ask is because something we often explore again college as a pathway to the pros 
if it was yeah. easier for you who, you know, again, I, I suppose you're not competing for the U.S. Open wild card in the NCAA finals. And so that's right. you know, playing that let's event not, is more Let's not touch up on that topic. Well, the reason I bring it up is <laughs> if it was easier to make the transition – and I guess it. I guess a, because you've been on the player side, you've been on the coaching side. Is yeah. it actually because we talk about? Oh, it should be easier making college to the pros. Is there actually a feasible way to make it easier for someone like you or someone like Estella, who is clearly showing a top two hundred level while in yeah. college, to just go yeah. play those events right away to get them into the. 50Ks, 100Ks, as opposed to the 10, 15 grind that can just kill your spirit to be a pro tennis player? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's no right answer for this, but Mm -hmm. I just think that they need to... And who's going to do this? I don't know. And again, it comes down to money. Uh, But somebody needs to look within like because i have the story right it's personal Mm -hmm. to me and it's personal as a player and it's personal as a coach um you know you're killing yourself out there in college and you're doing all this work and you're doing amazing and i'm talking as an international right like if i would have been american i guarantee you that i would have had a professional career um and and that's needless to say, right? Like, I'm not American, so why am I even diving about that? But um, at least have some sort of program, some sort of something like, uh, I want to call it, I don't know, like, like a fundraiser, like a grant, like something non-for-profit, like something. Have something, a program set for a kid that's international that meets certain criteria i don't know has stayed in the top 10 for four years has made it to the nca finals twice has i don't know something maybe really hard to do but you set up some sort of criteria where we will help this kid or we will help these two kids because there's not many that do it right like there's not it's not like 15 do it every year it's really just a couple of people and you say you know what like if this person does this we're gonna help get you know three wild cards into a couple of small tournaments and not small but i mean like like if i'm playing the top 200 top 300 type level get me a couple of wild cards in the adks i mean i got me and Paige got stella a couple of wild cards while she was around right after she won nationals because we could like we just started calling out to 80Ks, 100 and whatever, and they gave it to her, you know? And so it really it really is uh, just a matter of somebody paying attention. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I no, just- uh, I think, well, it's, and it's both, it's like, there's just so many people you can point to and it's uh, on the men's side, it's just a guy yeah. I point to. You look at Mikhail Torpegard, who has, yeah. I, I saw a statistic, I think, He's won like 87 challenger matches in his career. 44 of them have come at the Columbus Challenger. It's just like yeah. it shouldn't be that difficult to replicate something like no. that for all of these other campuses and for all of these international players. And again, it's where's the money going to come from? That, of course, yeah. is always yeah. the question above all questions. But I yeah. just I refuse to believe and not to open the can of worms that someone like Estella, someone like a Nuno Borges over at Mississippi State who was just yeah. so excellent during the 2010s, obviously yeah. Petros Frisokos, NCAA champion as well, and just you can go our Paul Jubb who won it that same year as Stella, yeah. also an international guy. Like it's just there the, the success for college tennis and its reliance on international players is too intertwined. We've opened the can of worms. We were going to get there eventually, right? It only <laughs> took us 25 minutes to get there. Uh, but it's just – I mean like I, like, I a, like, a no Stella, yeah. like Like Stella, I mean, you know, my entire career, I had a, you know, a thing about that it never happened to me, you know, that mm-hmm. this never translated for me. And, and you know, and I was going to do everything in my power for this kid. Like I'm just – no matter what, like I'm just happy she's having her turn at a at a professional career. You know, it's just no matter what, like she's home figuring it out. You know, maybe injured here and there, but 
she's having a turn and that comes down to when she was there um you know we like i would speak to her about it i would talk to her about it i said you know if you really love it this can be done you know don't just like think that you finish here and you're done like we're gonna look forward we're gonna look into this we're gonna try to get you know like you gotta be there and yeah i know that it starts with the coaches right but Sometimes the coaches in college have so much more to do than just doing this. And um, I don't know. I just feel like the organization around tennis, I just keep keep going to ITA. I think ITA needs to, like, look within. But then again, obviously, I know the money. They're together with USTA. It's an American program. And that's it. And so they might not look into that because of that. I don't know. But there are ways. Um, there are ways. Um, that if somebody sits down and and sets it up, it can be salvaged for sure. Yeah. No, it's it's so fascinating, and you know, again, for you, I am curious, and this is how I'll pivot back to your career because you you join a team in Miami that's coming off of an NCAA final, and obviously, what Audra Cohn was able <laughs> to do, whatever it was, forty four and two or something stupid, NCAA singles <laughs> champion that year before. Uh, there's a high degree of success. All of that said. You come in and, you know, you finish your freshman year top 20. There's just a lot of winning for you uh, right yeah. away at that program. And for I'm curious for you, what made the fit so natural and what allowed you to have success so early? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I first – so I didn't know where I wanted to go, okay, just being honest. Um, I didn't even know I wanted to go to college, like I mentioned, but <laughs> – you know, I I did end up, I knew Miami really well, as in the city, um, because we used to train here when we were young. We would come in the summers, and we had a lot of family, friends, and uh, just a lot of connection here. Uh, my brother was at Miami already for a semester before I went there. So my parents, it was just very organic. It was like, listen go there your brother's there is a good team we're gonna have an apartment for the family like it's just gonna be easy um so i you know they didn't have a scholarship for me at the time and i verbally everybody knows this it's not like i'm saying a secret but uh whoever needs to know this i i, I had verbally committed to the gators um and uh you know dave and and roland at the time they were amazing super understanding uh you know i said listen miami opened up a scholarship well not that they opened it up but it opened up a girl quit and i think I'm going to go over there. And uh, this is nothing to do with anything. I actually liked both teams. I actually honestly thought that I was going to be more successful at UF uh, as a team. I thought we would win more, which indeed was the case. Um, Ro Roland always jokes about it. He's like, you would have had two rings and you know that. And I'm like, <laughs> So, um, but, you know, I decided it was more like a, just a personal feeling. Uh, I wanted just to be at a place that I knew with my brother, with my family coming from Spain, much closer, much easier, having a family home. And that's all I was looking for. I was looking for just a good feel. And I, you know, early success at Miami, honestly, I think I wanted, it had nothing to do with anybody but myself i mean not to be mm -hmm. not to brag but i i wanted to prove a point um and i wanted to prove a point that i was you know better than this which sounds stupid but um <laughs> then I, I realized really really early uh that it was very hard and so it's a lot of respect for college and it's a lot of respect for what these kids do um, a lot of respect for what we did too. I mean, it was, it was so hard. So, um, nothing, it had to do with me just wanting to be great. And then actually my freshman year, I had knee surgery in my freshman semester. No, sorry. My freshman spring, I was out of the season for two months. This was like February 13th. I will never forget. I had surgery and then I came back for ACCs, which was, end of april by my birthday so 
I was right away put to play ACCs at number two. I, I thought, like, I didn't know how to play tennis, but I ended up <laughs> actually just gutting it out, and I did great. And, yeah, and I even – I ended up going to nationals. I made it to the main draw, but I – I lost first round. I my knee was like swollen and whatever, but um, yeah, it was it was just toughness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and again, there are a lot of different seasons, a lot of different matches we can turn to. I think the one, <laughs> not to you know get don't yell it. This is where you're gonna swear if you're gonna swear at me. But I imagine of all of them. 2009's the season that stands out because obviously, of course, that's a year yeah. you make the NCAA final. That's a year where you know it's not just yourself. I want to say it's Bianca who's like 40 and nine that season, and it's yeah. uh, the, and it was you know uh, Michaela who was 36 and nine. And by the way, I have these numbers in front of me. I'm trying to make it sound like I'm unsure. They're yeah. literally in front of me, so let's be clear. That's yeah, why that I know team, them. But, that team was good. That team yeah. was really good. That and team, that's a team I imagine because yeah. you beat Duke. In the regular season, 5-2. 4-3 conference championship. Yeah. You play them NCAAs as well. Was that the team of all the teams? that? Because I think Duke went on to win the national title. Was that the one? That was just such a – oh, my God. We beat them 5-2, and then we're in the final of ACCs. We have, like – we're 3-3 as a team. Bianca is clinching. Oh, my God. And she had, like – four match points it was like the craziest thing i've ever been part of we were getting ready to run to go hug her because we would win she hit a lob. it was so windy that day and she was playing a girl that would love like perfectly the the ball would land like exactly on the on the baseline and um we i mean bianca hit a lob. no sorry the girl hit a lob. that was called that was going way out we're all getting ready to run and all of a sudden this major hurricane like wind (laughs) like blows this ball not only in but it blows it like towards the bait towards the service line i'm like what's going on and bianca like just misses the ball at the net and we're like oh my god we're just not we're not gonna win like this is crazy and they ended up taking the acc title Bianca throws everything in the trash. Everything she was wearing that day, throws it away, including, <laughs> including racket and shoes, just throws it away. And the whole team is not talking for about three days. We're just, like, not talking to each other. We're, like, we, we have no energy. And then we come back, and we're, we were a great team. I mean, honestly, we went to the quarterfinals that year uh, for the NCAA tournament, and we lost against Duke. Yeah, that's right. And then the talk of the tournament was, you know, whoever wins this match, they thought they were going to win the tournament. And uh, Duke ended up winning it. They yeah. took ACC, they took, took NCAAs, and Cecil took the singles. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I, did you? How many times did you play Cecil that year? What, four? Was that the four? No, I did not. Actually, there's a funny story there. Uh, yeah, funny, funny, funny. I mean, believe uh, me, I'll, I'll enjoy it. No. Anyways, the whole year that year, I played number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Juliet Coyne was playing number one. Uh, just great kid. I mean, whatever. We just were teammates. Thir- but Yeah, 33 and 8 that season. She was pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just great girl. Good stuff for the team. You know, she just kind of came out of nowhere. And, I mean, the year before, my sophomore year, I had been playing. So my freshman year was Audra, right? She was playing one, and I was playing two. Then Audra leaves. I'm playing one. I don't remember who was playing two. I really don't remember. And then my junior year, I'm like, let's go. You know, I'm playing one. Let's go. Then Julia joins in, and I'm like, oh, whoa. She's very good. So I end up just for the team. You know, we talked, we had a whole meeting. Da, da, da. Okay, Lau's going to play two. <laughs> Julia's going to play one. I'm like, let's go, whatever. So we keep going. I'm like, I'm not going to lose one match. I'm just literally <laughs> just going to, like, I think Paige played it right. She did exactly what she had to do. And she knew it would fire us up, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole year, the whole year, she's playing one and she's playing Cecil. <laughs> And I'm playing Elsa 
what, what was her name? Elsa Enzi or whatever, something like this. Yeah, yeah. She she never beat me ever. Like she just couldn't play me anymore. And uh, <laughs> we we go and I'm we make it to nationals and I'm like we're all I mean we're all playing national. I'm like I'll make sure. Like I wanted to not lose a match. And so we just keep playing and Julia and I just kept playing next to each other the whole tournament. And I'm like, oh my God. So she wins, I win. I win, she wins. She wins, I win. We just keep winning. And I'm like, we're gonna make it to the final. Like, this is crazy. And so we're playing the semis next to each other. And I'm I'm like, I'm gonna make it to the final. Like, there's no way. And so I wanna make it to the final. I have a crazy match, but Julia, this whole time she's playing Cecil the whole time, the whole year. And she keeps losing to Cecil. Oh, and oh, I don't understand. And so I'm like, okay, she's, she's playing Cecil in the semis. No way. She's losing. Oh, and oh, I mean, lo and behold, I think she lost. Oh, and oh, and I'm <laughs> thinking what is happening. And then I'm like, okay, I really want to beat Cecil in the final just to show everyone that, you know, I should have been one or something. And then nothing. I mean, Cecil was just playing a great tennis and she shut my mouth and she, I think she beat me, what, four and five or something? I, so first of all, shout out to you and Mallory Cecil, number five seed in this event. She beats Bianca yeah. two and five in the round of 16. She beats Julia one and oh, as you mentioned in the semifinals. <laughs> yeah. Then she gets you five and four in the finals. I mean, yeah. that's just a good that's a damn good run i don't know what else you could say after something no, like Cecil, that i mean listen she's awesome she was great i mean she i just knew her for a year but we had nice conversation it, it just she was a nice kid and just really good she mm -hmm. but listen you know what's funny i read the years later not even i'm talking years later i'm talking like when i coached even i read her interview right before like right after her semi win, her semis. And uh, they asked her about, you know, Laura, this and that, and the other one that's in the final. And she's like, yeah, you know, we haven't played each other. I've, I've seen her around. I mean, I'm sure she's a good player. I mean, we're both here. And uh, she like could care less. She was ready to go. Yeah. She, was, she was ready to win the tournament. Just like you could tell just by how she respond that i'm like this is a, if i would have been her coach i'm like she's ready you know mm -hmm. me more so i'm like i don't know i was still talking about the semis and like because <laughs> it rained and i was like four two down and then i came back and then i don't know i just was like i was way more i think i was also way more tired i was i was very tired um i remember my shoulder my knee my you know everything <laughs> hurt but anyways no of was, course and and again, I, I'm reserving the right to bring you back on the show because I don't want to take up too much more of your time, and I know you got to go soon. But you can go, you can go a little more. We have 3:45, so go yeah, ahead. Oh, perfect. Go. Well, my question is: with all of those experience, finals, yeah. 2009. You, of course, then come back your senior year, another fantastic season. You end up making the semifinals of the NCAAs <laughs> that year as well, and you know. It's funny because the first year is probably more fun. The second year is just pressure. And if my memory yeah. serves me correct, 09 would have been second year Somdev, right? That would have been at Baylor, I want to say, maybe uh, for the NCAs or whatever. 2009? Yeah. Was that no. – so, I mean, no, a little no. later? 2006 uh, – sorry, 2007 was Georgia. 2008 was Tulsa. That 2009 was uh, Texas A&M. So that, that's the year, yes. Georgia. So that's right after the Somdev run where he wins back-to-back -back NCAs because he, I think he won his second in Tulsa. But all that is to say, I feel like that second year dealing with the pressure has got to be that much yeah. more difficult and just the experiences you go through. Is that what pushes you to get into college coaching? Because, I, again, I imagine at that point you've seen every situation. Yeah, I've seen, I, I really feel like I've done college in and out, both as a player and a coach. I, I like, even when I was done at Miami, I was like, I'm, I'm good. Like I, I'm good to look at it from, from the other end. You know, I, I really listen. I, I don't really know why I got into college coaching. I, 
I just didn't want to leave uh, the sense of uh, community and, and, and home that I had at Miami. And I, I mean, listen, the, the job opened up and I said, of course, I mean, how, how can I say no? And, you know, I had been uh, not only a leader on the team and I've, you know, I, I was I was a good friend of a bunch of the girls and they confided in me and I just have that type of personality. So I I, I knew that I helped. So I, I knew the game. I I understand tennis quite well. And, you know, I said, why not? So let's give it a shot. And and I feel like even as an assistant, you know, I, I operated as a you know, I was an associate head, you know, as title, but um, I operated with everything. So I feel like I've done it all, and and it's nice to be on the other side now. Was the first – I mean, if I made that transition, and I know, again, you're coaching, you have great relationships, or you try to with all of your players, but here, yeah. you know, because you're working with Paige, who was your head coach. Yeah. And I feel like the first year you're probably still calling her coach, but, you know, the next year's <laughs> – is it like – all right, but in this situation, what were you telling our assistant about me? Like, what were you saying? Oh, Lara, you know, if it's three uh, all listen, and it's down to La, we're that, screwed. That was never a question. I just knew. <laughs> I, just knew. I just knew what what was being talked about. I just started. I'm not dumb. I started to figure it out. And um, so, yeah, no, that's fine. No, it's got to be fun. One, and just, yeah, making that switch, I imagine, it's got because you came back what one year Barry and then you're back as both volunteer eventually. I was a associate. volunteer, yeah, for yeah, two but years. But some of these so. players you're playing, you played with. Yeah, those years were tough, right? Because I knew the kids, and it's different. And and you know, to grow as a coach and to develop your not authority, but just the respect and that that dynamic is takes a little bit, especially when you start in, on your same team. I mean, you know everybody, so. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but uh, I also wasn't as involved, right? I was just a volunteer. I was more of a hitter. So it, it was very organic, very automatic, and, and it just started growing as I grew within the job. And um, very difficult, you know, in my world, on in my opinion, with Paige, it was kind of like there were so many layers, right? Like so many things, you know, she recruited me. I was a kid. Then I grew, I'm an adult. Then I'm a, I'm a coach. She's a coach. She's been there for 20 years. It just, there was a lot. We're friends. She's kind of like my mom. Like it just was a lot. So there was um, a lot of managing, a lot of having to understand and emotional intelligence was a big, big part of it. And, And that's what I take with me big time. And all these girls that I coach, I mean, they all, every one of them taught me something. You know, you spend more time with some because some, you know, indeed win more. So you have to travel with them more. But uh, it just was fun. Just really, really fun. What is the thing going from player to coach you realize as a, as a coach that players value least that the coaches are doing? Is it literally just – and I'm sorry for swearing, but like the logistical shit where it's just like, hey, all of the hotel bookings, all of the meals, all of this, we have to plan all of that. Like all of the compliance. Oh, yeah. no, is that the stuff I, you're just like, I had no idea? Yeah, I started – yeah, yeah. Am I, you know what? <laughs> Actually, I'm going to say the expense reports. The, yeah. <laughs> Somebody can have those, but, uh, I, uh, yeah, that, and like, seriously, you need an X S or an S. I really don't care what you need. Just go to the freaking equipment place and just ask for whatever you want. Like, I don't really care, but, um, I ended up treating the girls really well. And I knew all the sizes and, you know, I'm just kidding here, but yeah, no, the the logistical, is definitely, and you know, it makes you grow too because now wherever you work, I mean, you've done so much. I actually didn't know college coaches did that much, especially especially assistants. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to make yeah. a joke. I was going to say, yeah. uh, well, I was going to name a coach and say, yeah, this coach still doesn't, but uh, <laughs> you know, I won't make that joke. That coach can remain nameless and all the listeners can wonder who I'm talking about. But, yeah. you know, for you, again, last coaching question, final two questions for you here, yeah. but uh, obviously, you were associate head coach 2019. Stella yeah. becomes the second player in program history to win the NCAA singles title, third finalist, first since yeah. you. What did that? You know, what did that run mean to you? Mean to the program? Did it surprise you to see her have that level of success? 
Um, did it surprise me? No. I knew she was going to win that year. Uh, I had a feeling. I said to Paige sitting down in the lobby when she was playing the quarterfinals, I said, well, she had the quarterfinals later on, but I said, she cannot lose. She cannot lose this year. She needs to win the tournament, and she will. And we need to do this for her. Like, I just knew she needed it. And not, sorry, not needed it. I just knew it was going to happen. You know, you can obviously never predict. I mean, I understand. But I just, uh, after she won, after she ended up, like, pulling out that that win, I, I think it was third round? I don't remember. Like, seven, six in the third or something. Something crazy. Um, and, you know, I said, she's not ready to lose. like she 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 just will not give up like it's impossible so i just i was so happy that we could honor that for her and she honored that for herself and you know she asked me right before the final because i wasn't really talking too much that week to her i was just laughing with her and like you know putting music on and just trying to be as normal as you know, as a human being, as I could be with her and just have a great time. And, you know, she looks at me <laughs> before the night, the night of the final, like she had to play the next day and we're going in the elevator and I'm like, oh, I have a feeling she's just going to ask me something right now. Like she's just <laughs> going to start being weird about this match or something. <laughs> and, uh, and I just was like, I need this elevator to get number six, like right now. And so, <laughs> she the 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 elevator opens up and i'm like all right girl good night you know see you later you know beats off sleep well whatever and she looks at me and she's like are you kidding me and i'm like what and she's like you're the only one in this team right now that did what i'm about to do tomorrow you have to tell me what's going on yeah. and, I, and i looked at her and i go okay and i said <laughs> you just need to never forget why you're there tomorrow and you're there to win the tournament and i said don't ever forget that during your entire match and you know when she finished she told me she's like i never forgot and like that was just cute um just a nice little i'll never forget that so it was good i mean she didn't surprise me she was more like she made it happen so i i just was sure that she could so there you go. She freaking did it. So that was amazing. I will, I will never forget her comeback against Abby Forbes this year. Even though she didn't end up winning the event, it was just like, oh my god. Yeah, I, I think just, I, yeah. I think I like turn it off. I was like, well, this is too, this is not yeah. too much. I'm like, what is going on? But yeah, that match was crazy. Yeah, and that's just that's still in a nutshell. And yeah, again, third round, seven six in the third over VCU, and just able to advance from. There. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, VCU, yeah. exactly. You're right. Yep. And so, just an incredible career. But of course, for you now, since uh, you know you leave uh, Miami, you are now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, director of development and academy manager at Miami yeah. Beach Tennis Center, and that's awesome, of course. But you're also an author now. Of it starts at love. Oh my and god! I have yes. to ask again. The inspiration, NCAA finalist, NCAA, yeah. you know, associate head coach, author. That's usually the path most of these people take nowadays. You know, that's that's the traditional <laughs> one we see here. But again, talk me through the inspiration. Where does it come from? Yeah, I mean, not many know, but I'm a very very creative person, and I've always been. Um, I just never had the time or never had the chance to open that side of me up because of sports. I mean, I guess uh, I just was so focused in tennis um, and how strong I am and this and that. But now, I mean, I had time and I, yeah, it has nothing to do with winning or anything. It's just the love for tennis. It's just, I just had so much time to think during COVID. I mean, not to be cliche, but just, um, yeah, just what it means for me and what it meant and the relationship with me and my brother and how it all started. It, it, it's very simple. It's a children's book. Uh, so it's it's not too much writing, you know, so it's calling myself an author. It's funny, but um, uh, it's just a nice story of how basically a little girl started and how she fell in love with the sport. And her name is Little Lau. And uh, so that's me, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> For those who know my name, that's how they call me. They call me Lau, and that's it, how she fell in love and how at the end of the day, uh, it all starts at love, you know, 
obviously the tennis uh, connotation there, but um, and that sharing your accomplishments with family and friends is really what's all about. So that's kind of where that story is. And Danny's feature in it too. So little Lau and Danny, my brother. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear in the book he's called Ugly Danny. I feel like that was a yeah, logo. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned a couple times in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, yeah. uh, again, that's so cool. And I think your story is one I know our fans will gravitate towards because, again, it's across levels and just the, the commitment to the sport. It's clear your love, your passion for the game, and that's something I'm always gravitating yeah, and, and to. Yeah, and being in the, at the club scene, now and just trying to to you know to make kids and families understand what tennis is about beyond winning and uh you know this book has helped a lot i mean i've given this book to over 200 people um over 150 people have bought it and it's just nice that it's out there and i've gotten a lot of messages about it you know my kid loves it you've inspired him or her to play and whatever so i've what i'm trying to do here at the club and it's just you know what if the kid has a class at five drop them off at 420 if you can let them be you know in the in the tennis wall let them be around drop all the kids and they all will be here you know the doors are locked then nothing will happen and just get the sense of what it is to actually be at a club not be training in a private court in the middle of nowhere you know with no atmosphere you know and, and the kids you see them they're so happy and that's how you keep you know the public and fans and players around the sport for for so long and you give them not just the stories of winning right like all the stats and stuff and i know i'm getting a little cheesy for your for the type of podcast that you are but i just uh i know you're not a stats guy at all at all well first of all we specialize in nacho cheese here at cracker the cheesier the better that's what we do but no to your point that was me i was the kid who really fell in love with Uh, tennis at the club and now i do this and that's right look that's a great story that's unbelievable they say those who can't do talk about doing and that's me (laughs) (laughs) listen my two honestly my two this is so random but my two favorite i need to give a shout out to alex schwartz um he's our SID guy well our I mean he was our SID for me at UM um my two favorite Alex's guys is you and him the stats guys I mean it's unbelievable (laughs) my my dream is for you the two Alex's to have a dinner with me over a couple (laughs) of beers and just I'm gonna be the third wheel I'm just gonna sit there and listen to you guys talk and understand that you guys are meant for each other (laughs) (laughs) well look that's where I shine I I've told my mother this because it's random story it was my birthday earlier this week and she's like are we any closer to grandchildren Alex and I'm like well it's gonna come from the tennis world, or it's not gonna come at all, Mom. I was like, "That's oh it's, it's boomer buzz." So, look, a dinner over stats is where it starts, and you know, then from there, you know, it's, it all it's starts at love. For me, Alex. Yeah, for me and Allie, exactly. It all starts at love. There, <laughs> there we're full circle. But um, no, I, I again, Coach, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to come chat with us today. I Hopefully, this will not be the last time, but. Uh, again, hope you stay safe, stay healthy, and sincerely appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Same with you, Alex. Best of luck. Thank you yes. for your work. Of course. Take care, Coach. Okay. Bye-bye. Hope you all enjoyed my conversation with former associate tennis head coach, former NCAA singles finalist, and I will just say all-around tennis wunderkind, Lara Valverdu. A huge thank you to Coach for taking the time to chat. I sincerely meant it when I said it at the top, hoping to have her on the podcast more frequently, not only during during, uh, the college tennis season, but throughout the course of 2022. And again, if you're not following her on Twitter, if you're not following everything she's doing in the tennis world to help try and make it a a better place for all of us. Uh, sincerely, go support all of Coach Valverdu's efforts. And again, a thank you to her for taking the time to chat on the show. Of course, as I mentioned at the top, 
plenty of things happening right now in the tennis world. Indian Wells are currently underway. If you've missed any of that action, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Daily recaps on the Mini Break podcast feed. Picks each and every morning on the GSP feed as well. Of course, with those podcasts in mind, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, ensuring all of this content is made possible for you listeners. Of course, again, for the media updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. But with all of that said, for our fantastic guest, Laura Valverdu, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.